turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, we're in verse 12 and down to verse 17 this morning. So let's read. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. And I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we're an aroma of death leading to death, but to another the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but uh, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's blessed. We're going to open our heart and receive it by faith and be blessed and nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you that people are going to walk away hearing from you today, and only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody agree? Amen. All right, let's go to verse 12, start unpacking this. Verse 12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. So again, we've been talking about 2 Corinthians is a book of restoration. He wrote 1 Corinthians, that was a book of correction. There's many things wrong in this church. And so we're not going to enumerate again all the different things that were wrong in the church, but it was uh, Paul's troubled child. You ever had, you love all your child, but you have a strong-willed child? Raise your hand if you were that strong-willed child. <laughs> well, you are reaping back. <clears throat> Praise God. And so Paul's church, this is a difficult church that Paul had to deal with, and so he brought a lot of strong correction, but he did it with tears in his eyes. The first, that day when they read that first Corinthians letter, there was tear stains on the parchment because Paul had, with many tears, wrote that book. And he said, at the time, I regretted writing it. As soon as I sent it off, did I do the right thing? And it's such a corrective letter. But afterwards, he found out that that brought repentance, that brought life. And so it benefited them. He says, now I don't regret it. I'm glad that I wrote that. And it was needed at the time. And so Paul brought correction to them, and most of them repented, got in line. Some did not. Some didn't like being corrected. And so they started pointing a finger back at Paul and saying, who are you to tell us? Are you even a real apostle? And so he's going to bring out, and they're going to say, you know what? You didn't even keep your word. You said you'd come twice to us. You only came once to us. And so you didn't keep your word. And Paul says, yeah, I, I said I'd come twice. That was my plan. But then you changed it. Because of your attitude, and the first, time, the, the first visit I had with you was such a difficult visit. It brought great sorrow to both you and me, and we needed a space. We needed a break. And so you're the reason I didn't come a second time. And so we're going to find out today, what did he do instead of coming to them? He, something else happened. And so I want you to see this. Look in chapter 12, uh, verse 12 again. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, where was he before Troas? He was in Ephesus. And so he had a major revival in, in Ephesus. You remember that's when aprons and handkerchiefs took from his body and there were 
many demons cast out and healings happened. And then they brought their magical arts and burned them. And so there was a great revival in the city of Ephesus. But when that was over, he left and he went up north to a city called Troas. Can you pop up the map, please? Kind of show you where Troas is and where Ephesus is. And so see Ephesus there, that's where that revival took place. But then he went up north to Troas, and that's where he went at this point. Troas is a very interesting thing. It's a historical city, according to the Bible, because this is his third missionary journey. But in his second missionary journey, Paul had come in and he tried to go into the Asia, into the area of Ephesus, and the Holy Spirit said, don't go. So he said, okay. So then he tried to go up north in the area of Galatia up there, and the Holy Spirit said, don't go. And so the Holy Spirit said, don't go yet into Ephesus area because it wasn't yet time. He would go there on his third missionary journey. He never was supposed to go to Galatia. You know, some, some closed doors are not yet doors. Some closed doors are never, door, never doors. And so that the Holy Spirit will guide that. And so he comes into the third missionary journey, gets to Ephesus, has a great revival, leads Ephesus and goes into Troas. And Troas is a place where, remember where he was preaching long and there were an upper room and it was warm and there was many candles and lamps and stuff like that. And, and it says there was a young man that was trying to get some fresh air and he, he opened the window and he sat there in the window trying to get the fresh breath of the wind to come in. And, he, and Paul long preaching, that's what it says. Long preaching. He fell into a deep sleep like some of you. Come back. Before he fall out, fall out. And so he fell out and fell off three stories, fell down and died. And so there's a rule in the, in, in the New Testament. If you, if you kill somebody through your ministry, you've got to raise them from the dead. If you bore them to death, you've got to raise them from the dead. And so Paul went down, rose them from the dead. So that was at Troas. And so he came to Troas. And so we're going to find out that there was a great opportunity. A revival happened at Troas. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Troas, again, is the city during a second missionary journey that he couldn't go south into Asia, couldn't go into Galatia. So he went as far west as he could. He ended up in Troas. In the middle of the night, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia, that's up where Philippi is, saying, come over and help us. And so that's Troas. So there was a door open from Troas in the second missionary journey, but now in the third missionary journey, there's a door to Troas. And there's a great revival that's going to be available to him, and he sees it in his spirit. This is, this is prime ground. There can be a revival as strong as the Ephesus right here. He says, Doug, instead of coming to you, there was a great door at Troas. He says, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Now, let's talk about doors today. What is a door? What's a door? Well, you know what a physical door is, but what's a spiritual door? What the Lord opens? Well, a spiritual door is a symbolic symbol of a divine season for fruitful endeavors for the kingdom. It's divine opportunity that's not there before. And so I believe God has some divine doors for the ones sitting in this room today. God has some seasons of opportunity for you for fruitfulness. He's going to open that door for you. Let's discuss doors this morning. And so look at 1 Corinthians 16, 9. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Actually, Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 9 is writing about Ephesus. 
He's at Ephesus and says, a great door at Ephesus. A revival's hitting here. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, for a great and effective door, say door, door. has opened to me. Raise your hand if you would like a great and effective door. But hold on with many adversaries. You know, the, the Lord, the devil's not going to allow you just to have great success in the kingdom and affect so many people and damage his kingdom without coming against you. And so with every great and effective door are many adversaries. But guess what? God has given you victory over all your adversaries. Tell someone you have the victory over your adversaries. Now, that's not your spouse. Spiritually speaking. All right. Look at Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 3. Talking about doors. Colossians 4, look at verse 3. Meanwhile, praying for us. And so we're going to find out that how can you get a door? If you don't have an open door, how do you get one from the Lord? Well, has it come to this? Prayer. Prayer. Paul asked for prayer for open doors. Look at Colossians 4, 3 again. Meanwhile, praying also for us. What? That God would open to us a door. And so again, you need to be praying for that open door. And so notice what the door is for. It says, meanwhile, praying for us that God would open a door for our, for our ministry to grow. Oh, I'm sorry, clueless translation. <laughs> meanwhile, praying for us that God would open a door for what? The for the word. It's not really you the door is being opened for. I know you're awesome. But you're, it's not really you the door is being opened for. It's for the word in you. And so that's why you need to be praying for revelation. Well, pastor, I haven't had any open doors in my life, but are you, is there any word in you? Is there revelation in you for, the word, for that door to open to? And so you need to be praying regularly the Ephesians prayer, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of our heart be illuminated, that we may see the hope of his glory, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. We need a revelation on the inside of us to share. And so again, the door's for the word. And so again, you're just, uh, you're a necessity, but really it's not about you. It's like the, we have light in here, and that's really the wonderful thing that we have, that we have light that we can see, but how do you get the light? Well, it has to come through wires. And wires are not attractive. We try to hide the wires. We put a, stick it in the ceiling. We dip them in the floors. They are ugly necessity. Tell someone you're just a necessity. <laughs> they call you ugly. But you're a necessity. But it's not about you. It's about the, re the light of the word of God. The revelation coming to people. And so again, it's for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And so we're going to pray for that. But what does Jesus say about doors? Look in Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 7. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus said you need to knock. Well, why? Because God's not going to do things for you without your cooperation. You have authority on earth. And so knock on that door. It says knock on the door, not kick it in. It didn't say kick the door. It says knock on the door and it shall be opened. 
Pray for opportunities. There's three types of prayer in this verse. You have asking prayer, seeking prayer, and knocking prayer. There are three separate types. Ask and it will be given to you is the prayer of faith. Those are for the things Jesus died for, redeemed you, for, redeemed you from, but redeemed you too. That's your healing, that's your prosperity, that's your provision in life. And so whatever he died for and you have a promise for, you can just ask and receive. You don't have to wait, just ask and receive. Ask and you receive. Say, I receive, I receive. but you got to ask. Well, why didn't he just give me? What, doesn't he see what I have need of? Yes, but you have authority on earth. And he has to ha legally have the right to move in this natural realm because he's given you that authority. So you ask, and then by faith you receive. Next is seeking prayer. What is that? That's the virtues of God. Seek peace. Seek righteousness. Seek his faith. Seek his character. Those are the virtues of God. Seek those things, and you will find them, but then knock. What's knocking prayer? Those are for divine opportunities for ministry. And we're going to see that. Look in the book of Revelation, these are doors the Lord opens. Tell someone, don't try to open your own door. <laughs> don't go where you're not invited. It's not polite. Let the Lord open the door. You know, I, the Lord early on showed, told me that, and give me a, just give you an illustration of my life about how the, how the Lord wanted him to open the doors for me. And, and this is for me. This is what he said to me. I'm not saying he said it for you. I think it's pretty good advice. But he said this to me. He said, son, I never want you to ask for a place to preach. I never want you to say, can, hey, can you have me? Or will you, will you let me speak? I, I never. And I never have. And every time he's opened that door, and I'm at the place now, I have too many. I have to, I have to turn down and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. But... But I've never opened those doors. The Lord's opened them. And so tell someone, let the Lord open your doors. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 8. Revelation 3, 8 says, I know your works. See. See, you're going to have to have be spiritually perceptive. I didn't say see with your natural. I see with your heart. Because there's some open doors in your life. Well, there's no open door. You don't see the spiritual open door wide open in your life. And you need to have your eyes of your heart open to see, I have set before you an open door. An open door of fruitfulness, of grace, of production. That no one can shut it. Well, pastor, I'm so afraid that, that you know, if this door doesn't open, then how, how am I ever going to do it? I'm going to graduate and, and is there... You know, how am I going to make a way for myself? How am I going to get in there? You know, you don't let the Lord open the door for you. So some of you need to cancel your business cards. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, bishop, elder, healer, reverend. Let the, let the Lord open the door for you. And says, so, see, I've set an open door that no one can shut it. See, what is the Lord saying today? He's saying he has a room for you. A door leads to a room. He has a room for you just for you. And you know, I'm not in a competition with it. Well, I'm graduating. I have all these graduates. And what if they get my room? <laughs> Don't worry. You have your own room the Lord has for you. And, he, and, and, and no one can shut it. 
Well, well, Pastor, what, what if I can't get favor with the right person that can unlock that door? Well, the Lord opens the door. Amen. Well, Pat, I'm afraid I don't seem to have favor with this person I really think I should have favor with. Well, let me tell you something. If you're praying for favor and they're not showing you favor, then you don't need it. The, the Lord's not limited. He can promote you. And so here it says, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my thing. You know, usually God opens the door for people that don't think that they're able to do it. You know what? You know the people that I'm worried about is the ones that say, stand back. Watch this, Jesus. You know, famous last words is watch this. Face plant. Those are the ones I say sit, young and sit down a little bit. You're not ready. But you know the ones that are ready are the ones that feel within themselves. I don't know. I just have trembling within myself because you, you know you. Moses was like that. At one point, he's like, stand back, God. I'll take care of it one at a time. And he says, you know what? And then he says, you know, I, I can't do it. I, I, I send someone else. I really can't. Those are the type Gideons, mighty man of valor. There's many mighty and women, women and men of valor in this room. The Lord's saying, this is the time. Well, I don't feel, I feel weak. Well, let the weak say I'm strong. 2 Corinthians 12 says that when I'm weak, I, I rejoice in my infirmities, so when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The strength can tabernacle over me. He gets the glory. And so you may feel weak, but that may be a good sign that that's that open door for you. And so it says, I, you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my faith. Look at Isaiah 22, verse 22. This is a mess messianic verse, speaking of Jesus. Isaiah 22, 22 says, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder and he will open and no one shall shut. But it says something else here. It says, and he shall shut and no one shall open. You know, there are some shut doors. And you can kick and you can beat on that door all along you want, but it ain't opening to you because God's either saying not yet or never know. And when he says no, guess what? He has a yes for you that's better than that door. You ever seen that show, that old show, Let's Make a Deal? If you're under 30, YouTube that. There's three doors. And you pick door number one, door number two, door number three. You pick door number one, it's a pile of manure. Because <laughs> door number three had the bright, shiny car. Well, God's going to show you where the door is for the bright, because the door you think is, it just has a bunch of manure. Amen. And you think it's so wonderful, and God has better for you. Tell someone God has better for you. So God's saying something. Someone in this room, you're trying to, kit, you're trying to knock on a door. You want behind what's on that door, and God says, I have something better for you. Look at verse 13. He's in a, in a place where the fields widen to harvest. It's a door of opportunity. But in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit. Everything in the natural seemed great, but I had unrest inside my heart. Why? Because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Why was he so 
uh, restless about not finding Titus because they had an agreement that Titus after, because Paul had sent Titus to 1 Corinthians or sent to them to the Corinthian church with the 1 Corinthian letter. Matter of fact, Titus was his troubleshooter. Whenever Paul had trouble, Titus was a strong guy. He, had, he was stronger than an acre of garlic. I mean, you sent Timothy in, he was scared of everybody and everything, and he was, you know, kind of timid, though Titus wasn't timid at all. You know, matter of fact, he circumcised Timothy because of the fear he would face. Titus, he said, I didn't have to bother circumcise that dude. He was strong. He stood up to people. So, so what? And so Titus had a three, whenever he sent him into a trouble area, he had a three-point message. Sit down, shut up, and listen. <laughs> I mean, he, he was a trouble. He, he sent him to the island of Crete. Titus, the book of Titus is written to, to, the, to the island of Crete. And so he's sent there. And, and Crete was just an island of rednecks. And Paul says they were just a bunch of brawlers. I mean, this is the Christians. How they would solve their problems, they'd just get into fistfights out in the parking lot. And so they were just a... And matter of fact, the word Crete means flesh. And so Paul says, I left you, I left you on the island of flesh. And the word left means I abandoned you. I didn't know if you would ever get off that island. He says, good luck with that, Titus. I don't know when I'll ever see you again. And within nine months, he showed up and said, Paul, it's all done. It's all straightened out. You kidding me, really? So he sent Titus to 1 Corinthians with the letter. And so he was supposed to meet Titus in Troas, but he didn't show up. And he was concerned about his personal friend, Titus. And so I want you to see something that he calls Titus, my brother. He didn't say my worker. My soldier, my underling, he called him my brother. Paul always had a relationship model of ministry. And so before he was a worker under him, he was a brother. He was a relationship. And so he was in a place where it was an open door from the Lord. It was a great opportunity, and he passed it by. He said, I left. I went. I departed from there and left there. Why? Because he put relationship, personal relationship, above his own ministry. Well, pastor, I thought ministry was people. It should be, but for most it's not. It's about, a, 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 you know, your name and your mailing list and, and, and your opportunities and about that. But Paul put his own, put the personal relationship with Titus above that opportunity and left it because of care for Titus. Are you willing to put people above your own success? Yes. Amen. Never had my first sneeze, amen. Praise God. He said, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed from Macedonia looking for Titus. And so go down to verse 14. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Have you read this verse before? And we use this verse because we're so happy about getting healed. Or we have a financial breakthrough. Woohoo! He's leading me in triumph. I am triumphing over my problems. But Paul, have you ever seen the context of this? Paul talks about in the verse before he couldn't find Titus and he was concerned about the Corinthian church because Titus was going to tell him about that. But Titus is nowhere to be found. And Corinth, they're so rough at Corinth, he didn't know, did they kill him? I don't know what happened to Titus. And so he goes into Macedonia looking for Titus and meets him there. 
And he's coming to Paul. Paul, I'm sorry I got delayed. But, they, but good news, the church took that letter and many of them repented. They love you, Paul. And they turned around and things have turned around in, in Corinth. And Paul said, I'm ready to have a party. Amen. He says he always leads us in triumph. You know what Paul called triumph? People. You know what the angels rejoice over? Your new house. Your new car. How about your healing? Does it say that? The angels rejoice over your healing. Does the angels rejoice over these kind of things? No, what does the angels rejoice about? When one repents and comes in. See, what in life that really matters is relationship. You know what makes life worth the living? Relationship with God and with other people. That house doesn't really bring you joy. That success you're trying to reach out in business and ministry doesn't bring joy and satisfaction in your heart. But yeah, just look at Hollywood. They're not happy. They have all the yachts and they have cars. But what really brings joy and satisfaction in life is relationship. Because you're not going to take that house to heaven. <laughs> you're not going to take those physical money to heaven. You never saw a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You're going to take souls with you. You're going to take people with you. And Paul says that when people are one. So what, what caused Paul great joy in life is when there was relationships. When people were saved, established, they brought back into fellowship with the Lord. That's what's brought triumph. But look at this word, leads us in triumph. This actually is a metaphor for something that actually took place in Rome. Whenever a Roman general went out and won a big battle, they would bring back and have a celebration. They had a parade. They called it the, the, the uh, tr a triumphal procession. And so I'm going to read from what took place during a, a, a Roman triumphal procession, and then that will make sense of what Paul's kind of alluding to this event when this happened. And so in a triumph, the procession of the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the capital. First came the state officials up front in the first of the part of the parade, then the Senate, then came the trumpeters, then were carried the spoils taken from the conquered land, then came the pictures of the conquered land and the models of the conquered citadels in ships. There followed a white bull for sacrifice that would be made. Then there walked the captive princes, leaders, and generals in chains, shortly to be flung into prison and in all probability immediately executed. Then came the lictors bearing their rods. That's the Roman soldiers that had the wooden rods that would beat people with. And says, the musicians, and then after that were the musicians with their instruments. I told that in the first service. Jeremy, you're after the lictors. And so, musicians with their instruments. Then the priests swinging the censers with sweet-smelling incense burning in them that filled the streets. And then after that came the general himself, finally came, then, then finally came the army wearing all the decorations and shouting triumph as the procession moved through the streets. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. But it was all connected to the, when he heard about the Corinthian church and that he got Titus back well. It's relationships. I'm speaking to here today that God's going to bring triumph in relationships in this, in this church. There are some some relationships that have been strained or broken, God's going to restore. He's releasing his anointing. And there's some children and some grandchildren. Raise your hand if there's some grandchildren and children. They're returning. And they're going to be the spoils of war. 
and they're going to be victory, and that's going to cause a, a parade and celebration in your heart. And God's bringing that back. I speak that by the Spirit of God. And so, again, when that happens, please fill out a praise report card. And so and it says, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. It says, through us. Say, through us. Through us. See, God smells really wonderful. But you know what? He wants his smell to come through you in the earth. And when you're walking in his spirit and you're walking in his will and you're ministering to people, you smell great. But when you walk in the flesh, some of you stink. But you're over that now. You over your flesh flash? Okay. Through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge. So that was like the priest with the censers. And a beautiful smell filled the streets. So everybody can smell it. And so that's the way it is. And so as Christians, you're just supposed to give the fragrance of God to people around you. And so look at verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Notice how Paul says we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Everything you should do in ministry first should be done to God. You know, every time I get up to speak, I don't believe, I can't remember the last time I haven't done this, but when I get up to speak, I dedicate that sermon to God and say, I'm speaking this to you and I dedicate this to you and I ask that you would take it, sanctify it, break it and use it. So really from what's coming out of my mouth to what you're hearing, God's mixed, messed it up and fixed it and, and you, you think it's good. But I have dedicated it to the Lord and... and First of all, everything that you do in ministry should be dedicated unto his purpose for his glory. Amen. And it says here, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. There are two groups of people that's in this verse. Those are that are being saved and then there are those who are perishing. What are those two groups? Believers and unbelievers. Those that accepted Jesus and those that rejected Jesus. And so... The ones that have been, but notice it says those who are being saved. Raise your hand if you've accepted Jesus. You're being saved. Well, pastor, I thought I was saved. Yes, your spirit. But guess what? You're more than a spirit. You're a soul and a body. Your, spirit, your soul is being saved by the word. And then one day, hallelujah, your body is going to be saved. Tell someone your body's not as good as it's going to get. You know, there's some false teaching that goes around the body of Christ. It'll cycle through every 20 years. Well, there's a teaching that's been in the body of Christ. It just cycles back around. This teaching, it, I don't know why people would believe it, but they, there's some that, that would have taught and have believed that you can get so spiritual that you, can get, you become glorified before you die. Uh, let me clear things up for you. If you think you're glorified, I want you to take a walk through that wall. And when you come back with a bloody nose, you haven't received it yet. Because when you get glorified, you're going to get a body just like Jesus' glorified body. And he could walk through walls. Hallelujah. And I've said this many times that in the millennium, I'm going to have a glorified body. And there's going to be natural people living. And I'm going to walk through a wall and scare somebody. And say, fear not. And then Jesus is going to say, stop it. Yes, sir. 
But in the glorified body, you can eat and not gain weight. Jesus ate honeycomb and fish. There's a great supper of the lamb. I can't wait. And then I believe you can, I believe you can move at the speed of thought. And so I'll be able to move faster than Jeremy. Praise God. Sorry, Jeremy. No, I'm sure you'll get there quicker than me. But we're going to have a glorified, so we're being, being saved, guys. But there's a group called those who are perishing. Why is it important for us to preach the gospel today? Because there's people perishing. Well, pastor, because there's a teaching today called universalism that teaches because Jesus died for everybody, everybody's automatically saved. That they're reconciled to God, they'll, that it doesn't matter if they receive Jesus or not, they'll all, all humanity is going to be back to God, reconciled. Well, this verse, what do you do with this verse? This verse says there's are ones that are being saved and then there's are who are perishing. And so, well, pastor, that's just in the natural, and then when they die, they go to heaven. Look at this word perishing. The Greek word for perishing, Jesus uses this Greek word in Matthew 10, 28. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy. Same Greek word as perishing. That can rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so there are those that are perishing. That's why it's important that we preach the gospel, that we have an outreach program. It's five the five fingers, there's five, out five parts of our outreach at this church. The lost, the prisoner, the, the poor, the widow and the orphan, and the, the sick. Jesus mentioned these five groups. You minister to them, you minister to me. The thumb touches all the rest of them. You win the lost and all these other ones. That's why we have evangelism training, and Jackie's training up. Alfred and different ones to, to train on evangelism and we have outreach because there are a group of people called the, called the perishing and we're to reach them with the gospel. Look at verse 16. To one, one group, we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other group, the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient for these things. And so for those that are open for the gospel, you just share the gospel, and you just live the gospel. Well, Pastor, I am at, I'm at a workplace where I can't just stand up and preach all day long. I have to work. But you can be a light with your lifestyle, with your attitude, with how hard you work, how excellent you work. You are light. Last time I checked, you can't hear light. You see light, and you're called to be light. And so people are going to say, there's something different about you. Remember Smith Wigglesworth? He would just be sitting there not talking and just be meditating on Scripture and the anointing and power of God so much on it. People would fall down and say, you convict me. Those are the ones that wanted what he had. Other people would run away from him and, and they would smell death. Because sometimes when you're walking in the Lord, there's some people that are not going to like you. They're going to feel condemned by you. And so you're not condemning them, but they'll feel condemned and they don't want anything to do with you. And so they will actually persecute you. And so there's two groups of people. The one group that you're an aroma of death leading to death, that they, they run further away, and the other, the aroma of life leading to life, who is sufficient for these things. Paul brings out this question because he gets in there. This is, this is serious stuff, people's lives. You, what you're doing in your calling as a Christian and what you're doing on your workplaces is life or death. And you think, well, who is sufficient for this? I love Andrew says, God has no one qualified working for him yet. 
But you know what? Who makes you sufficient for this? God. God is able. Well, pastor, I just don't see how I can reach those people at work. I don't know how I can do these things. You can't. Lean into God's grace. Trust him. He's going to make you fruitful. He'll open the door for you. And so here it says, and so let me talk real quickly. We're almost done. Let's talk about the twofold effect of the presence of God on, on groups of people. In the Old Testament, do you remember that the ark one day was, was uh, in battle and the Philistines won and took the ark and dragged it back to their home city of Gath? And so the, the, that ark was there and all of a sudden the, the death started breaking out. The curses started breaking out on them, and they all got hemorrhoids. Well, the King James says emeralds, but it's hemorrhoids. And rats, a plague of rats hit. Well, how do you know that? Because they made little gold images of hemorrhoids. Like, I don't know what a hemorrhoid looks like, but they made a little golden image of it and stood it there. Then, they, then the rats, everyone said, made little rats and said, well, maybe he likes hemorrhoids and rats. I don't know. And they put it on the ark and say, send it off to the next city. They sent on the next city and death got there and death, all five of the Philistine cities, death, 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 death. And then they sent the ark back to Israel and it landed in a place, this man Obed-Edom. And guess what happened when it came to his house, a believer. Blessing, 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 blessing. And everything he had, his health and his prosperity and his crops and everything just started blessing the presence of God will bring blessing to a believer and will bring blessing to wherever you touch. But to those that are unbelievers, there's death. And it says, who is sufficient for these things? Look at 2 Corinthians 3, look at verse 5 and 6. You're in a great place when you say, I don't feel sufficient for this. You're in a perfect place to be used by God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves. You're not all that in a bag of chips. Maybe full of hot air, but. But our sufficiency is from God. God makes you sufficient. Verse 6, who has also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The spirit of God in your life is going to make you fruitful. He will open the door for you in your life. Verse 17, last verse. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ Jesus. Love this verse. Paul's saying there are so many in his day. He's saying this in his day. The beginning of the church. Paul says there's today, right now in the early church, there are so many peddling the word of God. Look at that word peddling. It means to be a retailer, a huckster, a profiteer. Someone that's using what they're doing to make money. You know, there's many. If that's back then, what do you think today? There are many today using the ministry for a job, for income. And that's really what their goal is. And they will use whatever means to bring income into their life. Don't do it. Why are you in the ministry? You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse says... Not as one peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God. He says, I treat this, that this is, I'm a representative of God. The words I speak, these are God's words, not my words. They're God's purposes, not my purposes. And I'm here representing him. This should be your heart. 
that you're speaking God's words. There's not a time I don't get up in this pulpit that I'm praying, God, I ask that you would open my heart and open my mind and fill them with your thoughts and give me your utterance and open their hearts so they hear your words and can hear exactly what you're saying to them. Not what I want them to do or what I can get out of it. And it says, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Paul says, I really first, I minister first to God before I minister to you. And so I actually, I actually pray, Lord, I pray that you enjoy this sermon. Because I'm preaching it for your glory and for your purpose. And I hope you enjoy it. And then you can use it as you want to. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for open doors. That you're the God who opens doors that no one can shut. And you shut doors no one can open. And I'd say, Pastor, today I'm believing God that there's an open door. I've been knocking. And I believe there's an open door. And the Lord's saying, yes, there's an open door for you. And God's going to open that door and you may feel weak. There might be an open door right now and you feel so weak that you feel like, I can't do that. I'd, I'd fail. You're in a perfect place, but don't stop there. Say, God, I'm going to step through trusting in your grace, trusting in your Holy Spirit, and you're going to walk through that door, and it's going to be amazing, amazing. God has an amazing door for you. If you say, Pastor, agree with me, because I believe I'm right there, and I'm knocking on, on that door, in Jesus' name, raise your hand. Father, I thank you for open doors, some that will open even this week. There, there's a few open doors right now, you don't see it. Open their eyes to see the open door. See, I have set before you an open door. See it. He's going to show, he's going to show it to you. But guys, right, put your hands down. Lastly, it's an open door for the word, for the revelation inside you. Some of you have not been in the word. You've, 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 you're not in the word as much as you used to be. You haven't been in prayer like you used to be. Press in. God has an open door for you, but it's for the Word. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I'm going to get back into the Word. I'm going to get that podcast going on my, on, in the car. I'm going to be listening to the Word. I'm going to get back in there. I'm going to pray that Ephesians prayer. Give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you, and, and give me that revelation, and then I'm thanking for that open door. Say, that's me. That's me. I'm going to dedicate myself to the Word like never before because the door's for the Word. We thank you, Father, for doing that in Jesus' name. Let's worship God. So I just really sense in my heart that God wants to release the vision. You've been crying out, and you, you just haven't really seen what he sees yet. And it's, it's not about you. It's all for his glory. It's for your family, the ministry, the doors that he wants to open. So I just really sense, I'm going to pray over you, and I believe you're going to start to have that vision that you've been crying out to seeing what God sees. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just release that vision that they could see what you see. That when Abraham looked up at the stars and he looked down at the sand, that promise that he chose relationship over you, when he was about ready to send his son up to the mountain to be sacrificed, that he chose to trust you. He chose to see what you saw and that the provision was there, the need that was needed, Father, that you gave them and that represented you, Father. We just look at you right now. It's about you, Jesus. 
And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor for what you're doing in our lives. And I just release that vision that you, that they see what you see. It's about you, Father. It's about the love that you have for us and for others around us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Some of you here uh, might be feeling alone in your life. You pro you're probably married. You're probably in a relationship. You probably have great friends. But deep down in your heart, you feel like you're singled out. And you don't know what your purpose is. You don't know where your life is going, where your ship is sailing to. But today, God wants you to know that. Isolation is not always a bad thing. Joseph had to be isolated to save nations. Paul had to be isolated so that his letters could minister to several churches and even to our church right this very day. There were so many people in the Bible who put their trust in God, sole trust in God, and then they saw themselves being isolated. So isolation is not a bad thing. You know, Peter, he isolated himself when he saw Jesus walking on the water. And he said, I'm coming to you, Lord. And he got down. You, his feet, his legs had the courage to get out of the boat and step into troubled waters. But then he started doubting. He started feeling like he was standing there all on his own and that he had to manage the show. And that's when he began to drown. God wants you to know today that if he has prepared a destination for you, he's going to prepare you for the destination. In your isolation, he's working in you and within you. And he's going to make you stand on your own two feet. Just like how Peter stood on water when he finally saw Jesus was right there with him. Even on water. It doesn't matter what ground stands beneath you. Whether it's liquid, whether it's solid, whether it's air, whether it's wilderness, whether it's a garden, it doesn't matter. If God prepares you for it, you will be able to stand. Hallelujah. So embrace your isolation. <laughs> you, are, um, you may be lonely, but you're not alone. He's preparing you for something amazing, for his kingdom, for you to match his calling and his purpose that he has for your life. It's about him, like someone shared a, a little earlier. It's about him. So embrace your isolation. Hallelujah. As we were singing, I heard Charles and Osa over here coming together as a couple, a married couple, and declaring that. And so I just feel like the Lord wants us as married couples to turn to one another and to submit to the Lord for him to have his way in our marriages. That we're going to say, hey, this is where I lay it down. This is my surrender. God, you come in and you do whatever you want. And it could be that your marriage needs healed this morning. It could mean that the intimacy in your marriage needs to be healed and revived this morning. It could be that God wants, there are people all around you, there are marriages all around you that are hurting, and he wants to use your marriage to bring life to somebody else's marriage. So I just challenge each one of us, Rick and I, <laughs> we could sing that again and just just make this declaration as a couple before the Lord that we are surrendering and laying it down and saying, God, do what you want to do in us, in our marriage. So let's just continue to sing that one more time and make it a, dec a declaration and a dedication. <laughs> 